welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I'm so grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Did you know that one of my favorite things to do every single week is to email certain subscribers with the headline, in all caps, you won. To be on that VIP list, you simply text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 on your cell phone. I randomly select winners for the guest books and just by being on the list, you're entered to win. Hey, and today's guest has two copies to give away and I promise you that this is the book that you're gonna want to own. So speaking of today's guest, let me introduce you to her. Her name is Tracy Mitchell. She's an international speaker, a published author of the inspirational Downside Up, TV host of Life from DFW, and CEO of the Winning Woman Consulting Group. Her love of life is evident, as in her passion for Christ and compassion for hurting people. Tracy's a wife and a mom living here in Dallas, Texas. Hey, and Tracy's going to leave you ready to take on anything life brings your way as we chat about one of her books today, Becoming Brave. I know you're going to be inspired and ignited as you listen to this conversation that I had with Tracy, so let's jump right in. Well, hello, Tracy. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning of the show, I introduce you and I read your professional bio, but one question that I love to ask the guest on my show is maybe what's one thing about you that we wouldn't have read on your professional bio? Oh, something funny or something serious? Mm, let's go with funny. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not that funny, but um, <laughs> I flying lessons when I was uh, 19. So most people don't know that. Um, and it's funny because I took lessons long enough to do my solo run and then thought, wow, I can land a plane. And then I never took any more lessons. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, okay, I can land safe. I'm good. Oh, how funny. That's interesting because my husband's actually wanting to get his private pilot's license. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go that, for it. That's so fun. Okay. So today we're going to talk about a couple things. You've written several books, right? Yes. Yeah. But we're going to focus in on a couple of them. And the first one we're going to talk about today is called Becoming Brave, which when I heard about that title, I was like, Ooh, that's sign me up. Everybody who listens to the podcast or reads anything from me knows that overcoming fear and being brave is a really big part of my own personal testimony. And so I would love to know where did the heart behind that book come from? Right. You know, it's, it's, if the subtitle of becoming brave is, it kind of explains that it's how to think big, dream wildly and live fear free. And I read it in that specific order, how to think big, then dream wildly and then live fear free because most people feel that they can't live an audacious or courageous, truly authentic, brave life. And so they conquer everything that brings fear into their life. And it's totally the inversion of that philosophy that if you just simply begin to think big, begin to dream wildly, then that, that thinking and that level of dreaming begins to morph our fears away. And so it's not that you and I have to have everything in place in regards to fear, but just really in our thinking, let's think bigger than what we've ever imagined before. Let's dream more audaciously than we've ever dreamed before. And in doing so, we shrink our fears. 
I love that. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody explain it that way in that direction, but it makes a lot of sense to me because I recently interviewed somebody on this podcast who was a Navy SEAL, and that was something he mentioned about courage was he said, you know, you have to stay focused on the mission. And he said, if you find yourself not able to move forward, it's probably because your mission's not big enough, you know? And, and I thought it was really powerful coming from a Navy SEAL, but you, you just said it right there too, you know, that dreaming big, I almost feel like that might help propel us forward through some of those fears and insecurities that we might have. 100%. Tell me a little about the, so the book, you have those three different things you mentioned in the tagline. Are there, are those three different sections with the in the book or how do you tackle those topics within the book? Yeah, it's kind of all emaciated together, but the focus of the book really, you know, is teaching women again, and it is geared to women, how to, how to morph out of that place of um, just doubt and insecurity, that place of shame, maybe betrayal. And it's, it's not all conquering negative situations but learning to think that some of the bravest women are women who don't understand that they're brave in the moment. Mm -hmm. For instance, a woman who is being pressured by her boyfriend to have an abortion, but chooses to give life at that moment, she doesn't understand that she is perhaps one of the bravest souls on the planet. I mean, she just feels like she's walking in the season of confusion and strength, shame and in the middle of this storm. And truthfully, she is probably braver in that moment than she will ever be again. And so we really unpack what a courageous life looks like. And I discovered that some women don't just wake up and say, oh, I want to be brave. <laughs> you know, today I want to live this courageous life, but are placed in positions, are, are shoved into positions in life that they have no choice but to become brave, that that really is the only option, the only way out. Ooh, I like that you said they have no choice but to become brave. That is so good. And you touched on the word betrayal. I'm curious, how do you feel like betrayal steals courage? Yeah, exactly. And I think in our culture that many of us have allowed culture to define our role. And, you know, we have to change that. If you'll, can, I, can I take just a minute and unpack a story? It's kind of cool. Um, I was standing before a group of women in a remote wooded village and I opened the retreat with a series of probing questions. And I instructed the women to break into the small groups, sit comfortably on the floor. And with everyone in place, you know, I began to ask them, different questions. And so for the first question, I asked them to talk about life's most disappointing moments. And the room roared as women, you know, unpack private and painful issues. And um, I began the second round of discussion by, you know, having them talk about a relationship that ended in a painful way. And once again, the room just erupted. And these women swapped stories like sisters. And as much as I would like to deny it, uh, what happened next was entirely disappointing. Because for the final assignment I asked women to talk about a time when they acted courageously and all of a sudden for the first time the oversized cabin it just grew eerily quiet I could hear the crackle of the fireplace and the hum of the outdated appliances and women they just stared at each other and then they stared at me and it occurred to me that when it came down to talking about courage that women had absolutely nothing to say mm. And for the life of me, I can't add all together the times that I've spent trying to figure that question out. Why can we talk about our dysfunction and our pain and our shame that we have nothing to say on the subject of courage? Because if you put men in that same situation or put men around a campfire, I mean, the stories are going to grow longer. The tales are going to grow bigger. 
and they're going to have lots to say on courage but not women and i really just think in this culture that we have to train the next generation of women how to amplify their moments of courage i i love that perspective too and it makes me wonder if we need to redefine the word courage maybe women have had a lot of courageous moments but much like what you said earlier a lot of times in those moments they don't even recognize it as being that so what do you define courage as you know, it's funny when I was writing this book, I thought, you know, oh, you know, courage and brave. That's, those are great words. There's lots of synonyms for them. Absolutely not. You know, there's like three synonyms for the word brave and courage. And so I really had to take a long look. And so I went back to the, the biblical precept of how God first defined the word courage in its relation to woman. And what I found was in Genesis chapter three, that when he named woman, he named her the uh, Hebrew word Ezer or Ezra, some would say, E-Z-E-R. And when I looked at that word, it was amazing because that word literally meant brave, warrior, female, uh, courageous, and savior. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that God used that word. And the only other time that God used that word in the entire Bible was the 14 times that he referenced himself. Mm -hmm. And that to me is so strong that a word that meant savior, redeemer, healer, and all of the multiplicities of what brave and courage means, that the first time that God ever used that word was when he had hinged it back to woman, and then he only referenced himself using that word. And so I think society's done us a great disservice by limiting the definition of what brave and courageous actually means. I love that. And it's it's almost like basically what you just mentioned is that brave and courage is just ingrained in the woman. And so isn't that just like the enemy to come and tell us we're opposite of what God says we are, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. There's no way that we can live because culture has a very, I love this. I, I made a statement in the book that says that we don't have to be brash to be brave. Mm. And society, especially in the ultra feminist camps, have said that, you know, for you to be a brave woman, that you have to fit this model and speak out this mantra that is brash and is a brave and I've learned that you don't have to substitute one for the other. Mm. I can own every ounce of my femininity, but yet still be brave. Mm. You know, I can be meek and be a warrior. I can be both sides of that equation. And so if we're looking at just what society tells us, we will err in either direction. That's so good. And so do you think that there's any shame then that comes with that thought of being brave if we look at it from a society's point of view? Yes, yeah, shame is the secret that silences our potential. Mm. The secret that silences our potential. Uh, not long ago, I received a text from a, a friend who was convinced, and she had a very large women's Bible study group, and she had been heading that up for over two decades. And the enemy began to speak to her soul and reminded her of wrongs she'd committed 20 years ago. And it took hours of convincing to strip away the layers of built up shame. And even then there was so much work to do and patching up her self-confidence. And I could just list situation after situation, woman after woman, and I could almost quote them verbatim because shame repackages itself and will periodically drop by for a visit. And it's we're living in a season where now is not the time. If ever there was a time for women who are being catapulted to the forefront, this is not the hour to wrap ourselves in sheets of, of shame. We're too mm -hmm. strong for that. 
that were too strong to be led around by shame. And in this season, we have to shatter shame before it shatters our destiny. Oh, we have to shatter shame before it shatters our destiny. Yes. That was worth repeating. (laughs) That's so good. Oh, my goodness. So then how do you feel like that women can walk together in this in our culture? Yeah, I like the word symbosis. And it's not one that we often hear, but it talks, you know, it's symbolic of of walking and pairing together. And, you know, a few decades ago, our gender fought with men literally over the handful of jobs made available to women. And so now in in this generation, we're finding women have gone for fighting men for a a slice of the pie now to fighting women for who's going to, you know, own the bakery, so to speak, Mm. because there are more women CEOs than ever before. And, you know, again, we have to learn that as women, that nothing pushes us away from the plan and purposes of God more than walking in disharmony, especially with another woman. I remember when I was seven, I went to the beach with my friend Val, who lived down the street, and the first part of the day was perfect until she, she challenged us to build uh, sandcastles. And uh, I remember as we had built these big moats and had you know built these audacious ca- uh, castles that she would ask her dad to look and judge which castle was the best. And like any good dad, he found something positive to say about each. And uh, he complimented her drawbridge and my little moat. And he said, you know, you girls did a great job. I like them both, but they're entirely different. And with those words, you know, I just watched my friend's expression changed. And it was slight and it was vague. But from the look on her face, I knew that's not what, you know, she wanted to hear and with well, one fell swoop of her hand, she leveled both sandcastles and said, who cares about sandcastles anyway? And that was the first time that I learned that there are women who want affirmation and approval and will do anything, even if it means destroying what their sister is building. Mm. Both. And, you know, seven-year-olds aren't the only ones with affirmation and approval issues, I see 40, 50, 60-year-old women who would rather destroy what their sister is building than for them to get a a slice of affirmation or a slice more of approval. And my mind thinks, man, what if we would have joined those castles together and everyone who walked down that beachfront would have said, wow, I can't believe that two seven-year-old girls created this. That's so powerful. And, you know, I know personally, I feel like, I can totally understand when the secular world gets like that with each other because I'm like, oh, they don't know Jesus. So, yeah, it makes sense that they're just at each other's throat and competing. But then what breaks my heart is when we see this in the Christian culture, which I don't know about you, but I personally have witnessed it in the Christian culture. And yeah. um, and I just don't know. I mean, what's the solution here? Like what are what is I would just think the Christian culture should be at a different level at this, but unfortunately not always. And I don't want to speak across the board for everybody because this is not the truth for everybody, but still, how do we change the tide at least within the Christian culture? Yeah, I think we have, we have to deal with insecurity Mm. uh, within our own lives. And, um, you know, that's worked out a little differently. My first book downside up, it dealt with that very uh, topic in great detail because I spent the first 30 years of my life, you know, dealing with rejection and that, played into insecurity and then I viewed everyone as a threat. Mm. And so I think we have to dismantle, um, you know, the root of rejection in our life and that place of insecurity, because once we understand fully 
who we are, we'll understand that we are totally irreplaceable. Mm. That we we won't look at women as competitors, but we'll look at those women in a way that either they can complement the assignment that God has for us, or that conversely, and most importantly, we can sow into them in a way to help their dreams materialize. That's so good because you're you're absolutely right that as long as we have those roots of rejection in our heart. There's no amount of faking it that, you know, will ever cover up the way that things that rise up out of us and really that are triggered in us in those situations. And I also like how you called it competitors. I I wrote down competitors versus complementers, you know, like instead of looking each other as competition going, oh, you're going to compliment what I'm doing and it's going to make it even better. Just like you said, with your sandcastles, you know, we're going to, it's going to be a even more beautiful picture because now we can put what you're doing with what I'm doing and it's just going to be, have so much more of an impact. So, I love that so much. Yes. You talk about in your book, some about storms when you're in, in being brave. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. So I love analogies because I'm so, I'm really an adventurous person. And so not long ago I went sailing um, and as the boat began to pitch and turn, I asked the captain of the vessel, I was like, how in the world can we get out of this storm? And yelling above the wind, he said something that lingers in my soul. He said, Tracy, don't try to get away from something that you came that you can't outrun. He said, you came here to learn to sail and you won't learn to sail when the sea is calm. He said, take advantage of the storm that's coming. And he said, actually learn to lean into the wind. And I think that's something that we fail to do. We see storms and immediately what? We want to get out of them. We want to run away from them. But we we don't take advantage of the storm and say, you know what? I'm going to give this act of betrayal. I'm going to give this, you know, situation that I'm walking that doesn't feel good and it doesn't look good. And everything seems shaky and very uncertain. But how do I learn to steady my legs, you know, in a sea that's turbulent? How do I learn to, to walk upright? when the deck is not level and when storms are sitting me on hitting me on every side. And so in becoming brave, we, we do address that, you know, how do we level out ourselves when everything around us seems unsteady? Yeah. And how, what would you say to that question? Yeah, I'm being rooted every single day. You know, I began to read my Bible when I was seven every day. I had the least likely uh, not only to sur- to thrive, but to survive story that we don't have time to get into when I was a little girl. And the only thing that really kept me sane or functional was being in the Word of God every single day. And I began to read a Bible that a man brought to our house doing door-to-door evangelism. And it was that 30 minutes a day alone with God, digging into His Word, applying that Word to my life, even as a child that really taught me how to remain rooted in his presence and in my faith when everything else is uncertain. I love that. That really resonates with me because I won't go into details, but my husband and I are in a storm right now. And so even just what you mentioned about leaning in to the storm, like not trying to outrun it, but leaning in and going, okay, what can I learn here? And then, like you said, staying rooted so that then the storm doesn't pick you up and carry you off and, you know, land you on an an island all by yourself or something, you know, so. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Uh, This conversation is just so rich. So thank you for sharing on this. So uh, another book that you actually, so this to me is 
becoming brave, period. You launched two books at the same time, right? <laughs> I don't know if that was brave or just insane, but either way, God used it. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm over here trying to launch my first book and I'm like, all right, I can't wrap my brain around that one, but that's how you know God is in something because, you know, he just picks it up and he takes it where it needs to be. And so the uh, the second book that released at the same time, or I guess, is, was it in the same month or so, or like literally the same time? Three days apart. Three yeah, days apart. Days. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. And that this one's a devotional and it's the invitation to intimacy with God. Can you tell me uh, a little bit about that one? But then also, are there any overlap on these two books at all? Like same core message at all? Or are they just two completely different core messages? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because someone asked me on an interview the other day, they're like, oh, you wrote two opposite books, one on brave and one on intimacy. <sighs> and then when they the words left their lips. I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of nudge me. And he said, Tracy, they're, they're not opposite. They're mm-hmm. deeply rooted together. And he said, because without having that core intimate relationship with me, the father, he said, there is no way for you to live an authentic, brave life. And so, yeah, in nature, I thought I was writing two different books, but I never realized how deeply correlated they both were. It's a great question. Yes. Yeah. Well, even just like I mentioned, you know, with me being in a tough season of life right now, I realized, I mean, I I have my hands on the book, the invitation. I'm like, okay, that's that's God saying exactly like what you just said. We're talking about this brave thing, but you said that, you know, how you get through those storms is actually by being rooted, you know, in his word and in other great devotionals that are rich and are full of his word. And so that's one of those things I do love about this devotional is every single page has scripture on it. And then you have different contributors for that devotional as well. Correct. Yeah. What I loved about putting this book together was executive editor for this book. And so it's beautiful. It's hardback. It's linen. It's not only a beautiful book, but God had me bring on 50 other authors other than myself. So there's a combination of 51 and every season of life, women of every age demographic, uh, um, I started to say gender, every every age demographic, every uh, race, every background, everything from extremely successful CEOs, doctors, mommy bloggers, you know, women who are multitaskers to anything that you can imagine. So every type of woman is represented in the book and it's divided into 17 different topics that all hinge back to intimacy with God Mm. and I think that's so important because as women we want to learn to lean in how do we develop a deeper more solid uh, relationship with the father every single day but without just being one dimensional on that and so we wanted them to see that our intimacy you know covers a gamut it covers healing it covers faith it covers favor you know so many different dynamics of our intimacy Um, with knowing who the father is. And that was very important for me, for them to understand the personhood of the father. I, growing up, I didn't know the identity of my father. I still don't. And so for someone like me, helping other women clearly understand the love of the father was very big. Oh, I love that. Part of this devotional, you you discussed that how many women, they suffer silently. Uh, Why do you think that is? 
Um, because I think it goes back to trust. Mm. You know, they don't, they, they suffer silently because they just don't feel like they can come to God and just blurt everything out <laughs> and be ultimately transparent. Or maybe they don't have that friend relationship. Maybe they've had a friend that betrayed them, a close friend before, and now they're afraid of uh, reaching out to someone for fear that they too will betray them or not understand what they're walking through. Yeah, you know, I remember once I was sitting in a class at my church called WILD, which stands for Women in Leadership Development. I had actually, it was the pastor, Jan Greenwood. She's in your, she's one of your contributors to your devotional. I just realized that. She spoke a word. They were doing some times of prophetic words. And she said to me just one sentence. She said, Rachel, God is not a man. And that day, yeah. the, the Lord really spoke to me that he wanted me to realize he is not a man, which means all the things that I have had done to me or experienced by man. And when I say man, I mean mankind, you know, not just men, yeah. period. And that how easy it is for us to start taking those things, those betrayals that have happened by people and applying those to our relationship with God and thinking maybe he's the same way, you know. Yeah. Um, and so there's that trust factor there. And can I really trust God? Does he really have my best interest in mind or is he going to betray me like every other person in my life? So I love that you brought that topic up. Yes. Well, they, it's, it's an easy read. It's 312 pages, which is a Monday uh, through Friday. And then we have what we call the weekender. So it's actually mm-hmm. a six day a week devotion mm-hmm. and it is laid out. It's uh, by topic. And then each woman has a specific week that they write on. I take the first and last week and then, you know, 50 other authors compile the middle section and there you can just hear their life stories, the way that they emoticate, the way that they express the word of God. And it is very, very rich and very personal. Did you give each of them what their topic would be or was it kind of like you weren't sure until it all came together? Well, it was, it was actually easy for me. Um, and here's why, because I was afraid that if I let 51 women choose their favorite scripture verses, mm-hmm. that about 60% would have the exact same scripture verse. And so, yeah, I just, I sat on my back porch and allowed the Holy Spirit just help me grid and outline this book. And because I know the nature of each of them and I know what their gift is, mm-hmm. I was able to assign them a topic that I knew that they would be experts in and have something rich to bring to the table. And so, and they did, I mean, they brought it. They, they shared their, their glory stories and they, they shared their lowest pit moments. And to me, it's, it's that, it's that synergy. It's a, it's a combination of, you know what I've bled to, but I've also been successful and I've overcome. And so it's that rhythmic type of fusing together over the 312 pages. Yeah. And I noticed that it, the devotional really didn't shy away from hard topics like infertility and addiction. And so I'm, yeah. kinda, I'm curious, what was the hardest topic for you to write about? Oh, I don't even remember what I wrote about, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the hardest, probably, I think some of the experiences that I shared in here were for women that, as I've traveled, I travel about uh, 40 weeks a year. Some of their stories that I encountered and watched the redemptive process of Christ in their lives. Um, because I challenged our authors, now we don't want devotions that are just all about you, but what have you seen God do? Mm. You know, in the lives of other women in particular, how have you seen his hand? What have you experienced? And um, so we tried to make this devotion not about us, but about the redemptive power of who God is. Yeah. Do you have any stories that you're able to share with us from the things that you've 
seen or experienced as you've traveled as a speaker? Yeah, one of my favorites, I think it's like on page five. It's entitled, Make Something Beautiful of Your Scars. And it's just the quick devotion of me praying for a, a lady at a conference. And I noticed a tattoo on her arm and I asked about its meaning. And just tears flooded her eyes. And um, she said, this is God's personal promise to me. She said, during the depth of my addiction, those words brought hope and, and freedom. And she had inked it in her own handwriting. And it was designed to cover the scars of where she had once cut herself. Uh, and so she took the trace marks of where she was a cutter and she made it into a tattoo. And it was Psalms 138.8, which decrees that the Lord will accomplish that which he had made, the promise he had made concerning her life and how he would not abandon his works for her. And I thought that was just so beautiful that I could see the trace marks of where she had cut herself and then the redemptive process of a tattoo. Hand, she handmade it. There it was Psalms 138 and 8. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's one mm -hmm. of my favorite things, too, about when I get the chance to travel and speak is just the people you meet is the really the best part in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also my favorite part of this podcast is meeting new guests. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, you mentioned a second ago that that devotional, it has enough for a full year's worth. If somebody wanted to make it last, you know, a whole year, what would mm -hmm. it be that you would want? a reader at the end of that whole year to walk away having learned or known from that devotional? Yeah, I think it's the, the title itself is, you know, it's to walk in a different, different level of intimacy with God. Sometimes we know about God, we understand the Bible and, and we have a level of relationship with him. But I mean, to really walk away. And what I love about this too, is you don't have to start January 1. So many devotions are, you know, start with January and they work all the way to the end of the year. And this, you can launch in any time with week one. So they're by weeks and you can just begin to carve out that path to a deeper relationship where you not where you don't just listen for the voice of God, but you lean in and feel the presence of God. You know, so many times women say, well, I'm listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm listening for God to say something. Sometimes the strongest things that he says is when he says nothing at all, mm -hmm. that he just comes and pulls up the chair next to us and he sits down and his presence speaks volumes. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. Yes. And that was actually, I'm glad you brought up that point about that you don't have to start in January because that was the first thought I had when I opened yeah. the devotional. I was like, oh, good. There's no yeah. dates. I'm not behind, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> the OCD, yeah. people like this, or ADD, yeah, that works really well. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, because I couldn't do it. I'd be, I'd be all kinds of like, I don't know what to do. Do I go flip over to where we are now and then circle back through? Yeah. yeah. So you right. you clearly thought that out. Yeah. Um, so good. Well, I can tell just from chatting, we're, we're almost done with our time here. Before we hop off, I can tell just from chatting with you that you are a spirit-led woman. So I would love to know, is there any word of encouragement that you would like to leave these ladies with here today? Yeah, I would encourage every woman to stop dreaming small. Mm. I think especially going into a, a new year is that you you want to think big and allow those thoughts not to just be yours, but allow the Holy Spirit to fuse your mind and allow you to think big, to dream those wild, audacious dreams. And I hinge back to Ephesians 3 and 20, you know, that he has exponentially, exceedingly, abundantly more in mind for us than we have in mind for ourselves. That's so good. And what would you say to somebody listening that's like, I don't even know how 
to dream big, you know, because I know as kids, so many of us dream big, but as we get older, it seems like that gets harder to do because of a bunch of different reasons. So where would you tell someone to start if they're like, I don't even start? Yeah, most people can't identify their passion or purpose. And the first thing I ask them is, you know, if you don't know what your passion and purpose is, you know, you can't dream beyond that. But uh, discover that first. What is your passion? What is your purpose? And the way to quickly to identify that would be to, you know, what answers do you solve for other people? What makes you angry? Because you're usually caused, called to solve that problem. What makes you weep? You know, those are those emotions that that, that deeply move us the strongest are usually linked back to our passion and purpose. And so identify passion and purpose. And then once that's in place, God will start sending you dreams just like he did Joseph. And you may have to go through seasons of being alone and isolated, rejecting all the things maybe that other biblical characters went through. But at the end of the day, Joseph walked in the full measure of the dream that God gave him. I love how practical that is. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that gives hope to some people that might feel stuck in this area for sure. Okay, so where can the listeners connect with you online? Yeah, tracymitchell.com, tracymitchell.net, or TV, any Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, Mitchell.com. Perfect. Well, thank you, Tracy, again, for taking the time to come on the show. And I'm excited for the listeners to get to meet you on here. Thank you so much for hosting me today. Wasn't that conversation with Tracy encouraging? Please be sure to connect with her online and grab her book, Becoming Brave. Don't forget, if you're on my email list, you're automatically entered to win a copy. All right, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.